Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com, where, among other things, we publish in-depth and totally honest reviews of outdoor sports equipment. Today on the podcast, we're talking to the first champion of American Ninja Warrior, Isaac Caldiero. If you've been living under a rock and have never seen American Ninja Warrior, you need to. It's an amazing show that features a number of remarkable people and athletes, and the show is getting wildly popular. Two years ago, 5.3 million people tuned in to watch the finals, and this past season, that number grew to 6.2 million. This competition is a riveting and nerve-wracking display of athleticism, strategy, focus, endurance, and mental toughness. You can head over to blisterreview.com and check out the show notes to this episode of the podcast to watch videos of Isaac's winning effort, and there are also links there to full episodes of American Ninja Warrior. On this podcast, we talk to Isaac about his life before American Ninja Warrior, where he grew up, his background and his accomplishments in climbing, and the reasons for Isaac's success on this past season of the show. We also get into Isaac's advice for those who'd like to compete on the show, and we get Isaac's take on the controversy surrounding his win and about what life looks like when you go from being a dyed-in-the-wool dirtbag climber to a guy who just won a million bucks. Isaac's a sharp guy, a passionate climber, and one hell of an athlete, and I'm certain you're going to enjoy this conversation. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by Alaska Airlines. Alaska Airlines is now offering seasonal flights between Seattle and Steamboat Springs, as well as flights to Sun Valley from Seattle and LAX. One more thing, when you fly Alaska Airlines to places like Alyeska Resort, Big Sky, or Crested Butte, just present your boarding pass and you get to ski for free. Go to alaskaair.com forward slash ski to check out the specific terms and conditions. First question, uh, where in the world are you? <laughs> well, right this moment, I'm actually in southern Utah, uh, okay. in St. George, Utah just vi- visiting friends and trying to rock climb and we were it's about a, a hundred miles from las vegas so we were there hanging out with some friends over new year's climbing and then now we're kind of in our other favorite desert which is not very far away and uh, my girlfriend laura has a lot of family here and a lot of mutual friends that we grew up with all live here too so we're just hanging out enjoying life and rock climbing as much as possible <laughs> so okay first of all um you know one congratulations on winning american ninja warrior <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and what was the date? What that that happened? I think I know, but um, that the actual so the air date was uh, September fourteenth. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual physical date when I actually won was uh, it was June twenty fifth, I believe. June twenty fifth. So, okay. Yeah. So it was back right in the dead of the heat in the summer in Las Vegas, and I had to keep it all top secret, even <laughs> from my family, for about three months. Um, and it was, uh, it was, it was quite a surprise for everybody. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, okay. So since last June, um, how much of a break from climbing have you taken? Um, you know, or, or have you, 
has it been a minimal break? Did you like it, take it a lot of time off? <clears throat> well, um, normally I, I don't climb a whole lot during the summer months cause it's mm-hmm. so hot anyway. So yeah. I tend to have to work during the summers, uh, whether it's, you know, carpentry and building houses or waiting tables or guiding, uh, you know, out of national parks. I do a lot of that in the summers. And then that's my, my time off of climbing. And then as soon as the weather starts to cool, I'll hit the road and start traveling and rock climbing. But this year was slightly different because right when the weather started getting good for rock climbing was kind of right when Ninja Warrior, the finale aired. And so I was, I was busy bouncing all over doing a ton of publicity and press all over the country. And that's basically been my number one priority for the last, you know, four months basically. Um, but I have, you know, luckily been able to get out and do a lot of really cool climbing. We were just out in Tennessee doing some really fun climbing before that we were up in Seattle and Canada so like in between little, little uh, publicity gigs, uh, would get out there on the rocks and take a little breather. Yeah, and these days, um, I want to ask a bit. You know, kind of do the ramp up about your introduction to climbing and and um, but but these days, when you say climbing, I mean, are are you bouldering say exclusively, or are you still dabbling around in sport, trad, bouldering, whatever? Uh- What's it yeah, like so, for you? Yeah, so right, right at the current moment, um, you know, ever since I met Laura, been almost exact. Well, it's been exactly six years. We met six years ago on New Year's Eve, so we just had our little anniversary. And um, hmm. back here in the desert where we met, so every year we come back to the desert and rock climb. But um, I, yeah, ever since I kind of got her into climbing, we primarily just do bouldering. Um, you know, different styles of bouldering. Obviously, you know, taller boulders, smaller boulders, steeper mm-hmm. ones. And, um, and every once in a while I'll get out on some ropes. Um, but previously to that, I, you know, I had a, a huge background in doing track climbing and uh, free solo climbing, but I've kind of started to tame down just a little bit, um, just for multiple reasons and different head of direction and where I want to go with my life and what I want to do. But I still want to go dabble in more of the, the fun death defying feats just <laughs> as, as they come. I don't, this is kind of the thing you don't really plan out. They just kind of you do them as you get inspired to do them. And I just have been inspired to do other things lately. So yeah, yeah. primarily Boulder. <laughs> yeah. And okay. So let me see if I have this right. You are currently 33 years old. Is that correct? That's correct. And I think, uh, I think I've read somewhere that you've been climbing for about 18 years. Yep. Exactly. Okay. What kinds of stuff were you up to before you started climbing or found climbing? Um, which I guess I'm not good at math. So whatever, you know, 33 minus 18 is, um, what were you up to in the early years? So basically I was, I was about 14 going on 15 years old. Um, and a a neighborhood friend of mine had, you know, really inspired me to get out and rock climb. But before that, my, my parents were very, very protective of me and really wanted me to like read books and kind of play it safe and always kind of just take things easy but I just always naturally have been a total, you know, adrenaline junkie, you know, from skateboarding and, and riding motorcycles and mountain biking and slacklining. Um, from a young age, I was really involved in a lot of crazy sports. Uh, And then when I was 10 years old, actually, I broke my leg skiing and that kind of slowed me down and kind of gave me a bit of a reality check. And from that moment on, I kind of really realized I was like, wow, like, obviously I don't want to hurt myself anymore, but this is really cool. And I do not want to like sit around and do like a desk job. Yeah. So, you know, by the time I turned 15, um, like I said, a really good friend of mine who I'm really close friends with to this day who got me into rock climbing, you know, he would sneak me out into the mountains and I'd go rock climbing with him. And that's kind of where it all began. 
my, my passion and my desire to go rock climbing. So, and where were you growing up? Um, so I was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. And then I was raised just south of there near Provo in a town called Orem, mm-hmm. Utah. It's a funny little town with beautiful mountains really close by. And I mean, it's heavily, heavily populated by the Mormon religion. And I was actually raised in the Mormon religion. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't practice it anymore or, or, or a part of the organization. But um, yeah, I mean, now, now after growing up there, I'm like, wow, I couldn't have picked a better place to to have been raised because literally I had, you know, like all sorts of different extreme sports, like within 10 minutes out my back door growing up. And I never took it, not even for a second did I take it for granted. And I still don't. So you're 14, 15, you're getting dragged out onto rock. And so was this even from your earliest time climbing? Were you, was this primarily sport climbing? Were you already like sometimes getting on ropes, sometimes bouldering? Was it were you already getting into a mix of stuff early on? So at, at that time when I started climbing, I mean, it, it not really that long ago, but actually bouldering was barely even a sport. There wasn't even really crash pads. Very many people, the only, I mean, people bouldered, but not seriously. And it was mostly just to train, to go sport climbing and to do bigger walls and stuff like that. So I grew up sport climbing and all ropes primarily. Mm-hmm. And then in the gym and here and there, I'd go on little climbing trips um, and eventually I went on like one of my first climbing trips to a place called Joe's Valley, Utah, which mm-hmm. later on I ended up writing a guidebook for. And now is like one of the most popular bouldering areas in the country. Yeah. And um, so that was kind of like my little stomping grounds, along with many other like really um, amazing world class sport climbing areas. Um, and so from that, yeah, from that point on, I kind of dabbled in sport. And then that same friend of mine who I grew up with climbing, he kind of went the other direction with his climbing. He was he's a really talented sport climber and boulder. But he got more uh, wrapped up into doing big mountains and like ice climbing and, you know, like stuff in, you know, Nepal and Pakistan and Alaska. And so he every once in a while would drag me out to go trad climbing like <laughs> in Yosemite or Zion and just totally scare the crap out of me. <laughs> and, it, and it's fun. Like I, I basically feel like I'm free soloing. I don't trust any of the gear like he does. Yeah. And I, I, I just don't fall. I'm just like, I can't fall. Yeah. And I just climb. And it's, it's super awesome. And I love it. But I do it like once every few years. And I'm like, all right, that was good for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Um, all the trad climbers I know, I always look at them a little sideways, um, respect <laughs> it, but I think like, I don't want to hang on that stuff. Uh, yeah. So yeah, well, it's definitely a different, different style and technique and, and it's fun to do every once in a while, but it's, it's really painful, like jamming your fingers and cracks and twisting, and turning. It just never felt as pleasing to my body. My body doesn't agree with it as much as it does with bouldering and sport climbing. So, mm-hmm. And did you say, so you said your, your friend is, did I mishear you? Did you say that he's doing some ice climbing, uh, and mountaineering? Have you ever gone down that road? Um, not, not a whole lot, not like full on, you know, he's taken me out ice climbing a couple times, yeah. but I've never really been super intrigued by going out and just freezing my butt off and doing <laughs> big mountains and, and hiking for days and days. And, and he, he's totally like loves torturing himself. Um, even from a young age, you know, we would go mountain biking and he would just like beat himself up nonstop just on the, on the trails. And I, he just always has had that mentality to him. And I've always had the opposite. I'm like, Oh, I just want to enjoy it. Like that's not enjoyable to me. I want to go enjoy myself. Yeah. And so that's kind of what's deterred me away from doing the bigger mountain stuff. I totally have respect for it. It's like, wow, if you do that, like props to you, that's amazing. And, and he's, he's taken it to some really big extremes and, you know, he's, he's an amazing, amazing rock climber and, and ice climber and mixed, mixed ice and mountain climber. And he's done first ascents that, 
who knows if, if they'll ever even be be repeated because mm. it takes like two weeks just to get out to the base of it you know yeah. in the middle of alaska <laughs> yeah yeah so i i gotta admit um you know i'm i think it, an american ninja warrior this has been this great development kind of for all sorts of different reasons and um i think how do i say this i think it's fun seeing this um sort of grabbing a hold and becoming, you know, kind of increasingly more this mainstream event. And, um, you know, and there's just a ton of enthusiasm around it, right? And, and it's, it's so cool to see this happening. And it's, um, you know, as much as I still do love, you know, some of the mainstream sports, it's so fun seeing this kind of non-mainstream athleticism you know, being displayed right on broadcast television. And, um, th- anyway, that's been, that's been a really fun thing for me to watch. And, and, and it's been, that's why I think particularly in talking to you though, while, while I've, you know, so impressed by what you've, you know, accomplished, uh, on A&W, when I found out that you wrote the guidebook to Joe's that, I think, I, I think I'm still more impressed by that somehow. <laughs> um, wouldn't we talk about sort of Waco and Bishop and Joe's as sort of, I mean, is that, is that the trifecta or, or, uh, for sure. Especially in the West coast, you know, that's definitely like the three major, major zones, you know, and there's a lot of zones obviously, but those are some of the most popular areas right now. And kind of, you know, I'm sure you've seen things go and come and go in different waves. Yeah. yeah, It was, it was definitely like, I, I was honored to be able to, take that initial step because no one had written a guide in like over 10 years it was well overdue and i had no clue what i was getting myself into laura my girlfriend who's also mm-hmm. a fellow competitor on the show and climber she had a camera at the time and was like we should we should do the guidebook like why not <laughs> you you know all the climbs you put some of them up like why don't you make the guidebook and so she really like motivated me encouraged me to do it and so i taught myself how to use adobe and design and before that i all i knew how to do was you know check my email and write someone on facebook <laughs> um, so that, that was kind of like a fun little obstacle on its own was just learning computers and sitting yeah. there and fixating on that and Photoshop. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a fun project and it totally worked out well. And then in the end it was awesome. Cause I was like, just running around rock climbing and collecting checks from different retail stores who I'm buying my book. And I was like, <laughs> yes, it was awesome. <laughs> and how, how, how old were you when you first started climbing in Joe's Valley? Um, uh, my, my very first climbing trip was, in the first year I, I went, I started rock climbing. So I was 15 years old. I went on a road trip with uh, some really, some amazing, amazing talented rock climbers. Unfortunately, some of them don't climb still to these days. They've all kind of gone on different paths, but some of them still do. But I still remember because it was like, I mean, I was like a little kid and I was going out with all these like total, like to me at the time they were pro climbers. They were really, really way over my head and they took me under their wing and we went on this gnarly, gnarly drive through through a Spanish Fort Canyon, which is like one of the deadliest uh, canyons in the world to drive through in the middle of the winter because there's tons of deer and just heinous snowstorm. But on the other edge of that mountain range is just bright blue skies, and that's where Joe's Valley is. So more often than not, in the middle of the winter, you just have to battle through these heinous snowstorms. And I just remember that moment of like just being so gripped and so terrified, and finally get I was just like, what am I getting myself into? I hope I don't die. And then I got to the other end, and I was like, oh, wow, look at this mecca of boulders and this whole new world of rock climbing outside of the gym and outside of sport climbing ever since then i just was hooked to bouldering and being outside and slowly stopped going into the gym so so i also recently learned uh that you participated in the last seco block 
in Park City. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. This was my third third season in a row competing okay. on it. Okay, yeah. I I was out there for the um, I guess the inaugural event, and and it was is still one of the very coolest events I've witnessed in person, like in any sport. Oh and, yeah. Uh, so I was I was psyched to see that that uh, you know that I didn't know actually that this that you you'd been involved. I mean, there's only it's only there's only been three. Is that right? Yeah. You've been there exactly from the here here in America. Yeah. There's, yeah. But yeah, the very first kind of major one was here. It was at the same location in Park yep. City. Yeah. Yep. Um, so tell me about that. I mean, and then I want the follow-up question. Have you, have you done much or any deep water soloing, um, outside of Park City, which is kind of funny to say? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, um, a long time ago, um, one of my first experiences with deep water soloing was to Mallorca in Spain. Uh I went out with a, a good friend of mine out rock climbing on a two month trip to Spain. And we spent about, um, 15 days, you know, two weeks in Mallorca, deep water soloing. And it was, I was totally blown away. Um, unfortunately, like after about three days, I was doing tons of like backflips and stuff off of every cliff I could find. And <laughs> after every time I've topped out, I'll do these huge backflips. Um, and my ear, my ears got like infected or something from the salt water, but I just got this gnarly ear infection in the second, like I would just like look at the ocean water and my ears would start hurting. And so I had to wear earplugs and, and I tried not to climb on anything that I would fall into, but I still got a good taste of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about a year later, I got invited to be part of this uh, DVD video project slash development um, project over in Thailand, where uh, me and three other climbers were flown out to Thailand for um, two and a half months, where we went and developed um, deep water solo bouldering or bouldering and deep water soloing on these uh, multiple different islands all over uh, the Gulf of Thailand and then on the west coast of Thailand outside of a uh, Tonsai, which is like the popular sport crag and everything like that. Um, so yeah, I've had, you know, between all that and then just, you know, here and there, random little cliffs over rivers and lakes. Um, I've had a, a fair share of, a of, a saltwater enemas. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, that, that was, that was actually my follow-up question. If you, if you made the pilgrimage to Mallorca and, um, that's, that's a place I, I want to go to badly and, uh. Uh, oh, you definitely should, man. If you if you like that style, even if you're not a big heady climber or whatever, like that's what's so cool about. My, and my orca is like designed perfectly for it because you can pick any grade and climb as high as you want, and mm-hmm. it's totally safe. Or you can push the limits and, and scare the hell out of yourself, and <laughs> you can do whatever you want. You know, take it to whatever level you want. Yep. Uh, no, someday, someday for sure. Um, so about American Ninja Warrior, when when did this competition first get onto your radar uh, maybe about i would say about 10 years ago um through climbing actually um 510 my my shoe climbing sponsor they had posted um a video clip of this guy named levi muenberg who's like kind of an old school prodigy of ninja warrior um and he was competing back in japan and i think 510 was like looking into sponsoring them or maybe he was saying they were saying like oh check this guy out like all climbers you should go compete in this but no one really knew how to get on it or what it was or where it was or anything like that and so that's where i initially first kind of saw it and then i would watch the japanese show Mm -hmm. um and kind of get into it that way but i never really like got super obsessed with it until um three years ago my first season competing when um two of my really good friends well one of them really good climber friend of mine uh, dr noah kaufman who's you know pretty well known on the mm-hmm. show 
um, he was like, oh, yeah, my buddy Brian Arnold, you know, he, mm-hmm. he competed on the show, and he's a climber, and he did really good his first year. Like, we should all compete. And the next thing we knew, it was like submission time, and we were filling out, you know, uh, paperwork to submit. And, you know, I actually didn't get accepted my first year. And mm-hmm. that kind of, like, is what drove me to want to, like, do it even more. I was like, oh, yeah, like, you guys didn't accept me. Like, I want to be on the show no matter <laughs> what. And so you can go do what's called a walk-on line. And every year since then, it's gotten more and more, like, improbable to actually get on the show through the walk-on line unless mm-hmm. you have, like, a minimum month to, like, <laughs> in, yeah. in advance to go camp out in line. And so, yeah, I, me and Laura, we drove to Denver, Colorado, which is where my region was. And I'd heard that if you, you know, do something to stand out, you know, you have, your chances of getting accepted are a little bit more likely um, as far as being on the walk-on line because just being there doesn't 100% guarantee you a spot. So I, you know, I just so happened to have a spare Jesus costume laying around and I slapped it on and I've been known to resemble the Christ himself when I have a full beard. And so I, I walked around in my, in my Jesus outfit and kind of, and the producer totally loved it and ate it up. And we, you know, both me and Laura both got on the show um, as walk-on competitors with like zero training. And that first year I made it all the way to the, the Vegas finals. It, I was just hooked from that moment on. I was like, I want to do this. I need to do this. Everyone thinks it's impossible. I know I can do this and this impossible feat. I want to do, be the guy who does it, the, who's the first American Ninja Warrior. So, hmm. so that I, when I first started watching the show, I mostly just thought, okay, so basically American Ninja Warrior competitors are like 99% whack jobs. But it turns <laughs> out that you just have to kind of have your little gimmick maybe to, to um, a, a, there's a little bit of gamesmanship there or something. You, you got sta- to figure out how to stand out a bit. That might explain the like, the amazing array of like neon tights and that kind of thing. Is this is uh, this is this right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, everyone everyone goes on the show to have fun and to like express themselves in whichever way manner it could be, whether it's dyeing your hair a crazy color or wearing <laughs> a crazy spandex or the things you say being crazy or whatever. You know, like they they really like you know dynamic, entertaining people who who as well are you know have inter- interesting jobs and careers. Mm. and who are these amazing talented athletes on the side as well so Mm. all those things combined are what will hopefully get you on the show but like i said every year it's gotten more and more intense you know they have everybody wants to be on the show you know like last year alone i think they had fifty thousand people apply and they only accept about 600 to actually try to qualify so that's well under one percent of uh, people trying out for it um even get a chance to physically go try the course so yep by the end of it going down through all the different stages and then finally getting down to one person it's kind of a it's kind of an amazing breakdown of how it all works it is an amazing breakdown and i mean i'd have to well i i maybe you already know i had heard a, a friend of mine actually competed on american ninja warrior for the first time this past season and she had mentioned that similar number about fifty thousand applicants for you know, and, and whatever, 600 or so made it on. That was for this past season? I mean, or yep. was, and so have you even heard what, I'm assuming those numbers are going to be higher this year. I mean, Yeah, sh- I mean, the show's popularity is getting huge. huge. And like, it's every single person and there is, is wants to be on it or try it. And so there's tons of ninja gyms popping up everywhere. And yep. I can only imagine those numbers are, I wouldn't be surprised if they doubled this year. And actually, the submission deadline is coming up pretty soon. It's towards the end of January, I think. Okay. So they should have a pretty good idea here in like a month or so 
of how many people applied for 2016 A&W8. So, yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it, uh, if, if, if someone can actually take it down again. It, it's going to be pretty tricky, though. I, I have a feeling the, uh, the course designers and the producers are, they don't want people, they don't want anybody to win, you know. It's kind of like yep. that mystique behind it. And so they're going to step it up quite a bit, and it's going to be awesome. So that was a, another question I wanted to ask you, whether you assumed um, or had heard that, I mean, you're, you're expecting the course to be tweaked, um, to, to be bumped up for this coming season. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely quite a bit. Um, I know just hearing from the course designers and the producers, they're, they're always talking like, oh, like, I mean, they, they really want someone to beat it, but at the same time they don't. But yeah. they, want someone to, they wanted someone to beat it too, just, or they were hoping someone could beat it so that they could actually start like with a fresh new slate and, and design a whole bunch of new array of obstacles because they have all sorts of crazy masterminds and, and people designing cool cool obstacles to challenge us. And everyone's getting so trained on all those specific obstacles that they're becoming more and more second nature. Like even for myself on a lot of the obstacles, like stage three, for instance, I have trained so much on those obstacles. I, at one point, you know, it's like a boulder problem or a rock climb, you know, like it feels really difficult at first, but once you dial it in and you figure out all the little specific techniques, you can kind of dumb it down and make it fairly simple. Yep. Yeah. And oh man, a number of questions here. Um, so remind me this, this season was what number for you, you yourself competing? This is my third season okay. in competing. So yeah. what, what was the difference? I mean, between first, second, and third? I mean, did you feel like, you know, everything just happened to come together this season? Did you feel like you tweaked your own training and preparation for this in a way that made the difference? Uh, how would you describe that? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, um, each year was a huge, huge learning curve. Um, and and a, a, a really, really good lessons were learned. Every year, I you know, I learned from my mistakes. I changed my routine, my, my training. I mean, the first year I didn't train at all. I just went right into it feeling really strong and confident. Um, but then something as simple as me not wearing the correct shoes, that mm -hmm. something was actually a huge, huge detriment to me and it made me fall. Um, so that was a simple fix and, you know, never again will I ever fall because of my shoes. I know now <laughs> yeah. uh, what shoes to wear and, and, and to make sure those functional. And then the second year, you know, after that point is when I really stepped it up and was like, that's when I got the, the bug, you know, where you're like, you can't stop thinking about it. And all you want to do is succeed on it. So I did a lot, a lot of training my second year. I even took it upon myself to build my own ninja course in my parents' backyard and just train nonstop, like seven days a week. That's all I was doing. Totally consumed. I was watching Ninja Warrior 24-7 and, um, and that in. I felt like I was on top of the world, like nothing could stop me. But then sure enough, you know, on stage two, I fell on something I had built in my backyard that I've done a million times with blindfolded one arm, you know, on the double salmon ladder. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I can contribute it to my, my failure to was the fact that I was overtrained on, on my specific obstacles that I had built. And the, the obstacles on Ninja Warrior are so um, specific and, and really, really delicate and sensitive. And if you, you, you train so much in one on one obstacle, you build all this muscle memory and sensation for one obstacle or these specific obstacles, and all of a sudden that sensation is off. That's exactly yeah. what happened to me. And next thing I knew it, I was in the water. And so that was something I took on into my third season was, you know what, I'm, I'm going to not train nearly as much this year 
And when I do, I'm going to not take it as seriously. I'm not going to let it consume me because that was another big thing. When you, when you train that much and you spend that much time, your that much of your life and dedication and all of a sudden in a split second, it's all your dreams are over and you're wet and it's done for and you have to wait a whole nother year. It's kind of heartbreaking. It's very, very difficult to deal with. And it kind of throws you into kind of a, you know, many ninjas go into deep depression for a couple months afterwards, you know, just like, Oh man, like, what happened? And that was something I was like, I don't want to do that again. It's so horrible. Yep. And so I really try not to take it too seriously. I didn't train as much. I was working full time, um, bussing tables and, and I, you know, I, I just try to focus on other things to kind of take me away from Ninja Warrior and going into it this year, obviously all my training from the years past was still with me. So I wasn't like physically less strong. Um, but mostly I, I feel like it really, really strengthened my mental, mental capacity to, to be able to perform under such extreme conditions. Um, because that's, what's really hard to train for is, you know, yep. you're competing in the middle of the night. Like when I climbed the stage four rope, it was almost five in the morning and it's 110 degrees outside and you're just oh, physically exhausted and sleep deprived. And so there's all these different things that w- at the end of the day, like it really came down to my, my mental strength and, and if I could keep it all together and stay focused mentally. And so that was, that was the progression right there. And every year I learned and every year I adapted and you know, that's what being a ninja is all about is being able to adapt to your surroundings. And that's what I did. <laughs> Absolutely. That was really well put actually. And I, I mean, I think that's why the, the show is so riveting, right? I mean, there's clearly this obvious kind of dynamism and athleticism on display in ways that, you know, we're just not used to seeing if you're kind of used to, you know, watching traditional football, basketball, we, we, we get those patterns. And, and this is something where, um, you know, you're seeing all these weird obstacles and, um, and having to deal with that. And I, I think it's really interesting to hear you talk about, I mean, I think there's no question. It's just kind of inherently obvious that the training is, this is going to suck you in and make people obsessive in terms of the training. I think somehow the show just, that, that seems obvious that, that that's going to be the pattern. So to hear you talk about, to not, to not assume from all the reps in the backyard that you've got a given obstacle completely down by memory, if there's a slight tweak, that's going to throw you off, right? So that that yeah. the the necessary training, the not overtraining, the ability to adapt, and the ability to do this stuff at yeah five a.m. Um, it is a really remarkable the the mental and physical preparation and and flexibility and adaptability really is a remarkable thing, right? Abs- absolutely, man. And, and a lot of the times, I mean, we don't we don't know what obstacles are going to be given to us, so we can only train so much on a double salmon ladder or this or that, you know, up until we're there in Vegas and we have two or three days to compete. We don't, we have no clue what obstacles we're going to have to compete on. So <laughs> it's all last minute you, and you don't get to rehearse them. You're there and it's time and it's like, all right, here you go. Like, let's see you be a ninja now. <laughs> yeah. What are you, what would you, I mean, as, as people are listening to this um, and some of them are, are you know, know the show and are maybe are aspiring competitors themselves. Um, do you have, well, and then a related question. One, what sort of advice might you have for that person who's thinking, maybe I'd like to give this a try. And then secondly, what I'm kind of getting, um, a better sense of climbers in particular being drawn to, to this competition. 
what other uh, athletes of what other backgrounds do you think are particularly well poised um, for success in a competition like American Ninja Warrior? I mean, absolutely. The, the, the obstacles are, as of the past and the history in Japan, all the Ninja Warrior obstacles, as, they, as you get further and further into the competition, the more difficult obstacles become more grip and upper body strength oriented. So that right there being said, it's like climbers are known out of any other um, discipline in the world for having the strongest grip strength and upper body. So if you are a climber, sure, you're going to have a huge advantage if you, if you can get to those obstacles. Yep. And that's something all of us climbers have been struggling with for so long. And so, you know, you have to combine the, that with, you know, the kind of, I guess, parkourish type gymnastic lower body mm-hmm. jumping routines. And, and for me personally, actually, I didn't do a lot of like a parkour type training. And, um, but I have so many, so many years of other lower body type sports that I feel like some of those things help contribute to like my lower body coordination from skateboarding and, and dirt biking and motorcycling and slacklining. Mm-hmm. And, and even just hiking to the crag, man, like I like hiking up crazy talus and running down as fast as I can, like bouncing off rocks and jumping. And I feel like that's, yep. that's enough. Obviously it was enough, but we'll see in the, in the future if, um, if they kind of step it up a notch and kind of flip things around and make it, make the upper body stuff more easy and the lower body stuff more difficult. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to say in the future what, uh, which disciplines are going to do better. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it just takes like, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to say I'm like this great, amazing all around athlete, but I feel like that's in the end, what, what it takes to, to be the first American Ninja Warrior hmm. and hopefully for the next American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so with your own training, I mean, you, you, we've talked about you're, you're expecting things to be different for this coming season. What are you doing um, in terms of your own approach for this upcoming season? I mean, I guess one one train of thought might be like, well, you like, just um, my approach this year is going to kind of be the the same same kind of approach I went to last year. You know, not take it too seriously, but you know, keep things in check. And I'm going to do a lot of my kind of underground secret training I did last year, um, and we'll see if it if it pans out and if it pays off. Um, obviously, I want to work more on some of my lower body. Uh, strength you know agility and trampoline jumping and because that's always a given you know, they're always going to throw some kind of weird trampoline bouncy kind of <laughs> obstacle that's like really hard to train for and you just got to be able to read it just right and hit it just right and and run through smoothly so yeah that's something i gotta like you know once again you just have to be ready for anything yeah <laughs> just go train to be ready for anything I don't yeah. quite know. I don't quite know what that means or how you do that, but uh, yeah. I mean, who who knows? We could. We, one of the obstacles could be like, all right, you got to solve this Rubik's cube, <laughs> and then and then get blindfolded and walk backwards up this, and well, yeah. after running ten minutes on a trail, who who knows what they're gonna. <laughs> yeah, they could really throw in some total random abstract obstacle that no one was prepared for and totally take people by surprise. And so you really just have to be. I mean, I doubt something like that would happen, but you never know. Yeah. Or, or you have to, you know, for this next season, the last obstacle will be like, you have to beat, I don't know, Bobby Fisher at a game of chess or something like, who knows? They'll, uh, yeah. Or like a <laughs> sword fight or something. So, yeah. um, I don't know, maybe you should be working on your chess game, you know, just to, just to really, yeah. really make sure. Yeah. Um, chess, chess and uh, thumb wrestling. <laughs> right. 
Um, I want to double back for a second on, um, you know, talking about grip strength, especially in the, the final stages of the competition. How, how strong, say, I mean, putting this in bouldering terms or bouldering grades, how, what, what would you compare this to when we're getting into the really demanding grip stuff? I mean, do you think this requires like V10 or V11 finger strength? Or, or do you think that the right athlete could actually make it through and be very successful, even if they were, say, a V4, V5 boulder? So, yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen what a lot of the other competitors are, are kind of at that skill level. Um, they're not the best climbers, you know, but they do have a base level of climbing. You know, they're about a V4, V5 climber, um, which at the end of the day is, in, as, as far as individual obstacles, that's plenty strong to do those individual obstacles that we've had in the past because all those all these other ninjas are doing all the obstacles that we have in the competition but it's it's all about being you know being able to do like multiple of these obstacles all in a row with the lights camera action the pressure the sleep deprivation um and just yep all in a row and to not mess up and so to be able to combine all that together i personally feel like the stronger you are the easier it'll be for you. So, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're doing V five obstacles and you're a V five climber, it's going to be a lot more difficult for yep. you to, to do all those in a row versus if you are a V 10 or a V 15 climber, it's just going to be that much more um, attainable to, to accomplish. So, you know, I would, I would definitely recommend for everybody, like whatever level you're at, get as strong as possible. And, you know, obviously the stronger you, you can climb, the easier those obstacles will be. But at the end of the day, it's like you could trip walking on the curb, you know, and that's how Ninja Warrior is sometimes. You can literally yeah. fall and slip on the most the most simple thing, but there's no recovery, you know. Like with rock climbing, you know, we slip and fall or like mess up all the time, all the time on like yeah. a V4, right? But you can recover and hold on and pull right back on and continue on. But with this, it's one shot, one kill. Yep. A lot of the obstacles are, you know, if, if you make a bad miscalculation, you're done. You don't, you can't recover. And so that's kind of what's made it so, so impossible, so to speak. Yep. Yeah. It really is an amazing, I mean, it's an amazing competition. And, and again, I mean, it's an amazing accomplishment um, for that reason. Um, and uh, when, so the competition again this year, um, this will begin in, sometime in, Jan- in June. Um, so the, the Vegas finals are usually scheduled every year for about June and, okay. and all the qualifying, the city qualifiers are yet to be announced. But as of the last couple of years, they usually, uh, they usually take place anywhere from like beginning of March to end of May is usually when they set apart the times for the different city qualifiers. Okay. So here, here fairly soon though, you know, like I said, the deadlines for submissions are in a couple of weeks Yep. and from that point on, they'll start making the phone call that every single person and every existing ninja and every future ninja is dying to hear from. And that's the casting company calling you saying, Hey, you've been accepted on American Ninja Warrior. Like, congratulations. Like every year I'm still nervous about it. Um, obviously this year I feel a little bit less nervous, but every (laughs) year it's like been this huge stress, like in my head, I'm like, are they going to want me back? Do I get to try again? Like, Oh my, like, Cause they could just easily be like, yeah, we don't, we don't want that guy anymore. <laughs> so, so you, you literally, I mean, I, I wondered about that too. I mean, there, you're not getting some, you know, buy rounds or something. Um, you're, you're going to come in. No. Yep. No, wow. no special treatment, man. I'm no just... special treatment. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, you got your work cut out for you all over again. Yeah, yeah it's a, it'll be a new new season, new obstacles, new challenge. And, and that's kind of the cool thing about the sport is it's going to continue to evolve along with all the ninjas themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I think certainly we're, we're still seeing an, a strong, you know, uptick on this, right? And, um, and frankly, I, I mean, I think that is really amazing. I mean, I think like, you know, growing up, the stuff that you would see most on, you know, the, the big TV networks was kind of the same sporting events, you know, all the time, except for every couple, you know, every four years or whatever, when you get the Olympics and see some of this different stuff. But I think that's another reason why this is so cool um, that people who maybe never did care about team sports or didn't feel like, you know, didn't feel like throwing a baseball or a football um, it's such a compelling thing. And, um, I think it's great to just, um, to have this whole new outlet for incredible athletes, um, you know, to showcase what they can do. Um, I think that's just it's good on a lot of different levels. And I mean, I mean, not to overstate this or anything, but even just in terms of like, I don't know, the health of the country or, and around the world, right. You'd like to think that you'd see younger people, seeing the show and thinking who knows whether they see the show and then just start getting into climbing or slacklining um or gymnastics or whatever or parkour um that just seems positive on a lot of fronts right oh yeah i mean the the overall message and and point that's being put out there by everyone and and the show itself and the competition and it's directly reaching out to the youth I mean, yeah. everyone is excited, but specifically the youth. I mean, there's millions of kids across the country who want to be ninjas and are yeah. jumping around and, and they want to be like a ninja and do whatever it takes to be a ninja. And that to me is awesome. And that's amazing. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just speaking in terms, you know, it's, it you have to eat healthy and take care of your body. You know, it's like, if you want, yeah. if you want to perform like a Ferrari, you got to like treat your body like a Ferrari, you know, you're not going to put regular unleaded fuel in your your sports car you know you got to take care of yourself and you know that message alone to like the youth is amazing you know it's in it and it could help with a lot of you know the obesity issues we have around the entire world and and health overall and i think it's gonna it has and it will continue to put forth that amazing message to everyone so so you you know you won a nice little prize at the end of this show um and it's got to be a little weird coming from a what sounds like a fully true tried and true you know dirtbag <laughs> climber existence um life's got to be a little bit different now doesn't it yeah i mean i in ways it has it is different in other ways it's not because um you know i've always you know me and laura have always considered ourselves to be rich and and have, have everything we want and everything we want to do based off of the way we've designed our lifestyles and our simple frugal lifestyles and so this is just icing on the cake you know we're we're not doing anything extraordinary that we weren't able to do before. We're just going to be a little bit more cozy being able mm -hmm. to do that. And yeah, I mean, that's at the end of the day, we just want to go rock climbing and have fun and, and enjoy our lives. And that's what we were doing prior to all this. So a lot hasn't really changed that much as far as our mentality and, and what we're doing. And obviously new doors are going to open up for us and, yeah. and really excited to have this cool tool to do amazing fun things with it and, and, and to make a lot of good come from it. So yeah pretty good um so 
like a lot of championships, there was just a little bit of controversy at the end of this one, mm-hmm. right? And um, uh, an interesting situation. Um, Jeff Britton completes this course. Um, you, you know, great performance. You come along and uh, remarkably manage to do things a bit quicker. And the real, the rules, as I understand, are completely black and white about this. And and you know, there's no question. I mean, you're the champion of the of the season. Um, but it was an interesting. It led to you know some interesting sort of buzz and controversy about that. I'm just curious to know if you know how how you've been thinking about that in terms of you know would you like to see personally would you like to see kind of the rules stay as they were for last season do you think that it would be uh interesting or useful to sort of put any tweaks on those rules um have do you care (laughs) um what are your thoughts um, on that yeah, I mean, I mean, from the from the very beginning, and and that's something that is intriguing me to to want to be the first American Ninja Warrior and to accomplish this, was it was kind of known from the very beginning was, this is an all or nothing kind of ordeal, you know, like yeah, you either get it all or you get nothing, like and there's, it is very black and white. There's no like, oh well, he got, he basically did it, and or he was only, you know, what I mean, it's like no, that's I mean, in a that's I. You know, I didn't write the rules. That's just yeah. how they are. But some, that's something to me has kind of driven me to want to accomplish this. It's like only one person can have this title. Mm-hmm. And, and and by getting this title, you are winning the competition. And so for that, during that night, I totally was shocked and caught off guard when, you know, when he went before me. And, not, and it's funny because they say it was by my choice, but it was actually... You know, if you know the rules of the competition and you watch the rest of the show, based off of your time on the previous stage is how it determines the order for the next stage. And that's how all the entire competition runs that way. So mm-hmm. I had a faster time on stage three, mm-hmm. so I went last on stage four. Um, and so, you know, he, he had his attempt at the competition. And, you know, we, we went into stage four knowing, you know, they announced loud and clear. They're like, you know, in the event that more than one person reaches stage four, it's no longer about completing the course, you know, that's, that's kind of irrelevant at this point. It's now comes down to who, you know, for the first time in the entire competition. And it's been, we've all of us ninjas, the producers, everyone's been talking about it for the years is like, yep. there's going to be a race at the rope for the title. Like hmm. there's going to be a race at the rope. It's a fact. Some, one of these days it's going to happen. And sure enough, it happened. And I, I was a part of it alongside of, the, you know, Jeff Britton, who's an amazing, talented athlete. And, you know, to, you know, if, right when he finished and started calling himself the first American Ninja Warrior, me amongst millions of other people were like, hey, hey, easy there, tough guy. Wait a second. The competition's not over yet. There's still another person gets his chance. You know, like it doesn't really make sense to me and a lot of people that just because he physically got to go for, like, you know, imagine if there was five people, like, and he got to go first. Was that really fair? Like only he gets the chance at, of, at having the title. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, and as far as I've ever known, the title goes to the person who wins the competition. And in my mind, I was like, well, he didn't win yet. Yeah. So he, he basically had the title. He had his hand on the trophy of being the first American Ninja Warrior and the million-dollar prize. He had his hand on it. He was touching it for about five minutes until my turn. And then that's when the you know the decision was made. And unfortunately, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a cutthroat sport yep. and competition. And winner takes all. And that's that's just how it was for me at the end of the day. And, 
you know, people either see it or they don't. And yeah, I mean, we could, we'll see what happens with the next season if they decide to change those rules around and, and make it more of like, oh, well, the second place will get this. And I mean, I'm sure they'll kind of restructure some kind of things. I don't know if this controversy has got them thinking in different ways, but I mean, I, I would assume that they stick to their historical rules as far as, like I mentioned, you know, it's an all or nothing competition. So. Yep. Yeah. I mean, speaking of the, you know, you were talking about the mental toughness that goes into all of this, like, that's just a whole nother level, right? Like, in addition to everything else you're probably trying to focus in on and think about that evening, uh, you've got to deal with that, too. <laughs> like, that that just seems remarkable, again, and I, I think it's yet another uh, another kind of, you know, feather in your cap. Um, it's like... Uh, yet another thing to kind of zone in or, 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 you know, not focus on and just go about the task at hand. Um, that was impressive. Oh, thank you very much. I, I mean, I really kind of made it a point in that moment to, to just hyper, stay hyper focused and, and super in tune with what my surroundings and my breathing, especially and my body and just listening to it and just, you know, taking my time and, and at the same time having fun with it, you know, you can kind of see throughout different types of my, different times of my competition i kind of know when when to have fun and, and to celebrate and then i know when it's time to like all right it's game time like there's no messing around like i don't hear anyone around me i literally was on another planet like there was no water below me it's just me and these obstacles i'm one with the obstacles as cheesy as that sounds and literally i didn't hear the crowd i didn't hear anyone around me no nothing existed except for me and these obstacles and then i got to these safe zones where I could kind of take a breath from that because it was really exhausting. And then that's where I would have fun and kind of smile. And I do that throughout the entire competition. I get into these moments where I'm like, all right, I got this. Like I can enjoy this for a minute, you know, and kind of have some clarity. And then I go right back into that zone where, you know, I'm on another planet. It's pretty remarkable. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't want to keep you. I, I appreciate the conversation, Isaac. And, um, oh, yeah. uh, no you know, going to be watching intently um you know this coming season and and wish you and laura much success um but it's been it's been great talking today um and i'd love to talk sometime down the road uh you know uh hopefully uh once you successfully defend uh your title cool man that sounds great it was a pleasure uh speaking to you jonathan and thanks for having me That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Isaac Caldero for the conversation, and you can follow Isaac and his girlfriend and fellow ninja, Laura Kasana, on Instagram as they get ready for another season of American Ninja Warrior. Just look up Isaac Caldero, one word, and Laura Kasana, one word. Thanks also to our amazing audio engineer, Justin Bob, and to Alaska Airlines for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to go to alaskaair.com forward slash ski to check out all their current deals. Until next time, head over to blisterreview.com to see what we're up to there. Subscribe to the Blister Podcast on iTunes, and we'll catch you next Thursday on the Blister Podcast.